Welcome back to Questions with Bob. Uh, I'm Frank. Bob is going to uh, answer some questions for us a little bit later. This segment of the show is entirely about answering questions that are that are brought in from audience members or maybe even questions that we've been thinking about ourselves that require a, a fuller answer than yes or no, but maybe not so full of a treatment as to, you know, be a sermon series or something like that. So we're giving this one a try. If you like it, let us know in the comments, send us emails, um, whatever best, but help us to, to guide content with your responses to it as well. Bob, are you ready? I am as ready as I'm going to be. So this is our maiden voyage with questions with Bob or answers with Bob. What did we say it was? Answers or questions? Question, answers with Bob. Um, prognostications with Bob. <laughs> Bob answers the <laughs> tough ones <laughs> today at four. So, <laughs> so do you want to read the question? What do you want to do? And then you answer it? Well, re- restate the question as, as you uh, left it on my voicemail. Okay. So we'll this was a – all right. So this is a question we talked about uh never. And yesterday we said let's let's give this a try. Let's try a question. So what I've been wondering for a long time is uh Judas. Judas is a is a is a difficult character in the scriptures. I, I don't know if there's anybody like him where he traveled with Jesus, he's a disciple, he's as close to Jesus as you could physically get. He saw him must have been participating in everything, yet he's the one who who, who turns Jesus in, who, who ultimately sacrifices him. So I've always had two questions about him. Question one is, he commits suicide after he turns Jesus in. So he repents from what he had been doing, and he, he commits suicide. Number one is, did that suicide uh, threaten his salvation at all? You know, so I guess in a larger sense, do people who commit suicide – you know, does that disqualify them? And then two is, in general, even if he hadn't committed suicide, would the betrayal of Jesus been the end of his salvation? Thinking of it, uh, you know, as sort of like the unpardonable sin of unbelief, something like that. So that's kind of where I've wondered for a long, long time. So I don't know how you want to start in on this one, but the floor is yours. Well, I, I guess the, the thing is, you know, I would – maybe make a decision tree out of this because you've got several several questions and if this then that else the other but if that's the other do we go A or B, you know, type answers on that. Okay. And um Christendom generally is divided over the issue of suicide. Um you know in the tradition I grew up Roman Catholicism and some of the those kinds of churches uh, suicide equals a death sentence to hell. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so we have this tradition in the church that that's true. Um, but yet, you know, on reflection about that, we, we have to say, well, is it really? Um, you know, it, and I think the logic behind that was you're, Playing the role of God in your own life. And that's a no-no. And yet, we see in the scripture, it's people go to hell because they reject Christ, not because they commit some act, be it murder or self-murder, suicide, or theft or adultery, or you name this the sin that's the hot one of the age. 
as I understand the tradition, uh, the prohibition on suicide was during very dark, if I remember right, the Middle Ages, where there was life was so difficult, people wanted out. And that was creating a problem on a society level. Hmm. Uh, even today, if you look at the, the statistics, suicide is a very common way of people exiting difficult situations, especially when it gets into old age and medical and dementia and that sort of thing. Um, you know, one of my coffee buddies at, uh, in Columbia that I met with almost daily when we, you know, on the way to work, a bunch of retired guys and, and a couple of us still working, we'd get together for coffee and bagels at the Atlanta Red. And one of, one of those guys uh, lost his wife and about two years later ended up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy I know was a believer. Uh, but, you know, he was already retired, so he was in his uh, mid to late 60s. He'd lost his spouse, and it was a very difficult death. And, frankly, he was overwhelmed by the circumstance. And uh, so I would say that, uh, yeah, Christians have real problems, too. And when the problem doesn't appear to have any human solution, and you prayed about it, and you say, oh, God, you know, I mean, this guy was a, uh, a pretty strong Christian in my estimation. And I knew his church. I knew his pastor. Um, but yet he was overwhelmed by the circumstances. So, you know, a couple of my college buddies, they've lost kids to suicide. Uh, it It is much more prevalent than you would think. Um, hmm. So, you know, it is, you know, the intractable problem is something that uh, we have to endure as Christians. And every one of us, you know, I mean, I've got friends that have dementia or, uh, you know, chronic cancer. Joanne's got a lady friend that's been stage four cancer for about 10 years, you know, and it's, uh, she, you know, she's tired all the time. And when you're tired, uh, depression is, is not far behind often, you know. Hmm. So I can't say that suicide is a sentence to tell, and I don't believe it's a unforgivable sin, as some would have it. Now, I can understand why the church uh, would want to come down and, and make it uh, a severe penalty, make it appear that that's the that that is an option you never want to take, you know. And yet, um, you know, some people take it. And as a society and as a church and as a, the pastoral staff of any church, if they care for the people, they don't want to see them taking that route. And yet people do. And I forget what the numbers are, but, but they're fairly high. I'd have to look at the way of what it is. I've seen them, but I don't recall them. Um, so that, that's one issue is suicide a death sentence to hell, eternal death sentence. And I'd say no. Uh, there are circumstances. And I would agree with you that uh, Judas traveled with the Twelve. Now, remember, when we say traveled with the Twelve, I mean, he went out on these two-by-two missions. Mm. He was probably part of the two-by-seventy missions. Uh, he was probably 
uh, empowered to do some of the miracles during that those initial uh, missionary journeys that Jesus sent them out on. Uh, this is a guy that, for all outward purposes, appeared to know who Jesus was as Messiah. So it begins to become a difficult question to say, could he... Could he have lost his salvation? No, I don't, you know, I guess theologically I would fall to the side of saying, no, nobody loses their salvation. They may never get the real deal. They may go through the religious motions. And is it possible Judas was going through the religious motions? He was caught up in the wave of miracles. And, oh boy, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom had come and the Messiah is here. And never had a heart change. It's possible. We don't know, but the scripture doesn't tell us. And really, Jesus doesn't tell us either, because doesn't he say that, uh, you know, I chose you, and yet one of you has a devil? And which probably, to me, is a bigger, a bigger question, because we see Jesus as almost being omniscient, uh, which he is omniscient, but how much of his omniscience did he give up when he chose the 12? Was he operating like uh, a pastor or a rabbi at that time who chose people based on what he could see as on the human side? And, um, you know, we're never really told that Jesus looked beyond the surface and into the spiritual depths of a man's heart and soul. It doesn't tell us that. And even that is somewhat controversial. Uh, one of my professors that I had, Walter Kaiser, who's a great Old Testament scholar, uh, you know, he's, at least I've heard him in class, I don't know whether he's altered his opinion about it. He said, you know, a prophet, of course, knows everything. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Gee, Dr. Kaiser, I, I hear what you're saying, but yet sometimes God does not choose to reveal everything all at one time to one of his servants. If Jesus, in his human side, set aside the, many of the prerogatives of deity, maybe he didn't look fully deep into Judas's soul until much, much later, because he knew it at the Last Supper and at, near the very end. He knew who was going to betray him. So, so hmm. is this what, so, was it Paul? Was it Paul who wrote that some men's sins precede them, or was this Peter and some men's sins trail after? I think, I think it was Peter. I don't know. And, and Let me hit the concordance. To your point about, um, the prophet not knowing everything, that was the problem with the Shunammite woman and Elisha. The, the boy dies, and the Shunammite woman yeah. gets on her donkey and comes, and, and Elisha says to Gehazi, I have no idea. The Lord is not showing me what this is about, but she's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he doesn't know until the end of the story what the, what the problem was, because the Shunammite woman isn't recorded as having told him. He just knows that it's something to do with the boy, and, and there's real big trouble. So maybe that's mm-hmm. the issue then. Maybe it's a, a voluntary limiting. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be because, you know, it, it says plainly that he set aside, he did not grasp, it says, 
uh, all the privileges of deity. He did not bring them all with him. In one sense, he had the legal right to all the powers of deity, but he chose not to exercise them in concert with the Holy Spirit and God the Father, that he set aside those things for his ministry on earth to a great extent. And he was dependent upon, you know, the Father to reveal and the Holy Spirit to give him discernment. And so, yeah, that doesn't really answer our question here, because when we go further, uh, in Luke 2.22, it says that Satan entered into Judas. You know, um, John 13, 2, the devil put it into the heart of Judas to do the betrayal. Uh, and yet we see at the, at the table, you know, Jesus says, he who dips the morsel in the cup with me in this heat. So we know that Jesus knew that at, uh, right up to the Last Supper, just before the, the final communion service, if you will. So, you know, you know, the other thing that I've heard at times, you know, what was, what was Judas's really, what was his real motive? Um, was he vindictive? Was he just, and, you know, I said, no, I don't think that's the answer. And, uh, you know, you can imagine, you know, you've been traveling around with Jesus for, three years, three and a half years, and Jesus has been giving the kingdom parables. There's, what, 10 or 12 of those. And the kingdom of heaven is like, and then Jesus would give a a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. And, you know, I could imagine that Judas was really hopped about the coming kingdom. And was he trying to, you know, once it became apparent to him that Jesus wasn't going to institute the kingdom right then, maybe he was trying to pay the politician and maneuver Jesus into the point that he would have to bring in the kingdom. Hmm. To defend himself you know? then. So in yeah. other words, it's a, it's a, it's a betrayal, but it's not a, it's not a, a betrayal for the money. It's a betrayal for a political end. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. For a political end. You know, he wanted the kingdom. And, of course, you know, culturally, the Jews had been looking for the kingdom for, you know, since the book of Daniel, 400 years prior, at least. Well, actually, that's King Cyrus, 400 years, and Daniel was uh, 536, I believe the date is on that, B.C. Uh, you know, we have the promises of Abraham and the promises to David about, you know, you will have a throne, an eternal throne. And, you know, so the Jews were, were ready. I mean, Judas was ready for the kingdom. And he said, what's this? Judas, uh, Jesus, you aren't going to bring the kingdom in now? Well, let me move that, let me move that along and put you in a case where you would have to or die. And that is fascinating. Where did you, wait a minute, did you, did you think of this? Did, did you come to this theory? I've never heard this before. This is really interesting. Haven't you? Uh, I don't I know. Think, the only I, place I think, I think I heard it. I don't know. Maybe I made it up. But I'll tell you where I've seen something like it is uh, the book Ben Hur. You, you probably know the movie, but but the book was written in the 1850s, yeah. and it doesn't get into who Judas is, but the character Ben Hur is like is like on the outer periphery of Jesus's. He's always sort of near the crowd, 
but uh-huh. it's not in the uh-huh. okay. And there, most of the tensions in the in the second half of the book are about you know the kingdom coming physically and Ben Hur raising yeah. an army to help the Messiah you know overthrow the, the Romans. And when it doesn't mm-hmm. happen, there's total disillusionment. The thing is in disarray. It's an absolute mess. And Ben Hur ends up at the crucifix that day. That's that's mm-hmm. sort of how the story turns. And then he's like, then he finally begins to understand what the entire conflict was really all about and that he had misunderstood. So I've only heard it talked about like that way from Ben-Hur, from that perspective, and maybe I've heard sermons on it, but I can't remember. But to link Judas to that is fascinating because I've, I've always been bothered by that, really bothered. Like how could somebody be that close and that corrupt for that long? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always wanted. Maybe he was there, you know, with his agenda of the kingdom and not God's agenda for the kingdom. And, you know, that becomes really apparent, well, the Olivet Discourse, you know, when will be the signs of your coming, you know? Uh, you know, that's just before, you know, Jesus talks about all the signs and the wars and the initial reward. And, you know, it, maybe it's Judas is becoming disillusioned, you know, because he was in it for the kingdom, not realizing that it was a deeper spiritual kingdom than just a earthly political kingdom. I don't know. That's fascinating. You know, it's, I don't. It's, I don't know. It's, right. it's, yeah, it's kind of a speculation at that point, and I certainly wouldn't want to defend that under the at a heretical court or anything. Um, yeah, but it, it's a thought, and then. You know, when I began to say, okay, what did Judas do afterwards? And um, you know, it's Luke in Acts one says that Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You know, but even before that, you know, Judas. Uh, it's, let's see what verse I wrote it down here. Uh, I may have to cut a dead silence when I find this. I wouldn't worry well, about that. This and, is all extemporaneous yeah, speaking. Yeah, except Matthew 27, 3. Judas, it says, changed his mind. Uh, literally, when I looked up the literal translation, it says Judas repented that he had done this. Um, New American Standard uses the word he had remorse with great abhorrence would be a way to that if you wanted to expand the meaning of that word he changed his mind right and there was a oh my gosh what have I done and he realizes after the betrayal that he did something that wasn't going to bring about the kingdom uh, and he had proven himself disloyal when it really counted. Hmm. And now, if he was a complete, what's the five five dollar word? Retro reprobate. With, yeah. yeah, yeah, a seared conscience. He wouldn't have remorse. You know, it's like a hitman. He just goes out, and does his thing, and he goes and gets a steak dinner afterwards. You know, there's no remorse. That's what- there's a seared. That's what always bothers me about Judas. Right. That's the point. Yes. Yes. That's the point. 
So you're he saying that that's not really okay. So the the presence of remorse then you're saying had had was an, it was an indicator that that was not really just a full on betrayal. It might have been an accidental betrayal. It might have been an unintentional one. You know, maybe well, it was a misguided it was one. Yeah, misguided. It was intentional, but he had not thought it through. And uh, so, you know, and and the scripture, oh, the scripture is kind of silent. Is Judas going to be in heaven? Well, most people in church traditionally say he's not, because how could you, how could God forgive you that? I've always heard that position that that don't get don't get excited to meet Judas because he isn't one you're going to meet, but. You know, let's pretend for a moment that the theory you're exploring is probably the right one. Would that fit with the character of God as you understand the character of God to be? He is a rewarder of those who seek him. And if Judas truly repented, if he said, oh, my God, my God, what have I done? And spiraled into depression to kill himself, uh, he may be in heaven. You don't know. And right. the interesting thing is, as I got thinking about this last night, um, very seldom does the Bible tell us the condition of another man's soul. Right. You know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It describes the event and in especially in the Old Testament, there's a kind of a uh the prophets comment on the events, so we kind of know what the mind of God is, and in other places we will see where but for the most part, um you know God doesn't give us great insight um, to to another man's soul, and i I think there's a lesson there that I took away when I began thinking about that is that, oh, let's fast forward 2,000 years. Here we are in uh, in North America, and there's the tele-evangelists, and there's the super pastor with, you know, thousands of members and all that sort of thing. And from the outside, we can't really tell his motives. Uh, we hear the message. Uh but then we hear every now and then of one of them falls into some sort of sin. Yeah. And we really don't know from the outside whether, well, gee, he was just a charlatan. He was in it for the money. He was in it for the fame. Or the burdens of the ministry were so great, it crushed him. And he fell into sin because he ran out of resolution. He ran out of, I don't want to say integrity. But he ran out of, um, uh, oh, there's a big psychological term that I can't think of it. But basically. He got tired? He, well, he got tired, but there's a, a, a the, an inner toughness of the soul. I want to say Texan or something or another. But, um, and, you know, I mean, we all have those times where one thing after another hits us in our life. And we just get weary. And we run out of energy to maintain the fight. You know, mm. uh, you know, we're on the front lines of spiritual conflict, you know, and I mean, soldiers probably do that, you know, uh, 
you've had military training. What's the length of time that you shouldn't push a man beyond his time at the front line? Is it 30 days or what's normal I, rotation? I, I don't know. And I suspect that the intensity of the, of the conflict would matter too. So I would think mm-hmm. that, you know, like, uh, if you ever read All Quiet on the Western Front, that was from the German perspective in World War One. frontline rotations were fairly short. It was like three weeks, two weeks, um, because mm-hmm. it was just, mm-hmm. it was just too much. Um, yeah. you see, you see other things like the infantry experience in Vietnam. If you were a, a, um, a dismounted infantry type soldier, you would be doing, uh, patrolling, you know, you might go out and do patrolling for a day or you might go out on an extended patrol of say five or six, eight days. And then you're back Mm -hmm. in for four or five days, you know, rest, refit, blah, blah, blah. And then the whole, the whole engagement for you was only one year there. So I I don't know. Um, I, I know that it's something that responsible leaders pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it depends. I mean, uh, uh, you know, during the Alaskan conflicts up there and, their, and the Aleutians against the Japanese, you know, they picked a bunch of lumberjacks and roughnecks and uh, cowhands and, you know, people who were used to living in tough circumstance to take that because it, they knew it was a tough battleground. Mm. The weather, you know, and at least what, what I've read of that conflict is, uh, they sent people that, that, you know, they were cowboys in Nebraska and Wyoming and, you know, they worked the oil rigs and, you know, there were people who were used to, you know, keeping on, keeping on under difficult circumstances. And everybody has a breaking point. And, but anyway, the, the long and short of it, we don't know where Judas was in that. Did he just break because he was so set on the kingdom that um, that he had to do something he felt. Uh, you know, I've seen people in our prior ministry, they're so committed to cause that they lose a certain amount of rationality about what they're doing and hmm. realizing uh, the ministry happens not at our speed or our agenda, but at God's time and then God's agenda. And yeah. one of the toughest things I've seen among people in ministry is they burn out because they're trying to do more than what God has given them to do. And uh, so, anyway, that, that's kind of the thing I, I think about. And the other thing I think about, um, you know, just because your degree is from a good seminary or a good Bible school or you hung out with name your favorite uh, pastor or teacher, uh, it does not necessarily mean that you know all the lessons they knew. Uh, there's, there's no, there's kind of a, a corny saying, God has no grandchildren. Yeah. Just because your dad was a, just because your dad was a great preacher or a missionary or a super Christian deacon or what, you know, and they really want to war doesn't mean that you will. And, uh, everybody has to come to the point of walking their own walk and, you know, let every man take up his own cross, not the cross of the guys next to him, but his own cross and carry that. Hmm. And we all have those, you know. So that's what I was, I was thinking about in this question. And, 
And I have to say, I don't know about Judas. Uh, I certainly understand that he wanted the kingdom. And I certainly understood, and I think I understand, uh, that he was trying to help Jesus set up the kingdom. And if Jesus was too, quote, timid, unquote, that he would help the process along, he thought. And, uh, you know, he certainly repented of his actions. And once realizing what he had done, yeah, he committed suicide. Does that mean he was a non-believer? No, not necessarily. And, you know, we might be surprised. You know, we might meet Judas and we might not. Uh, yeah, I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us all the things we'd like to know. It reports more than it often re- interprets for us. Yeah. And I think the lesson for me personally is, is, uh, you know, and, you know, on the case in point, you know, I came up in the Christian world with a, a bias toward action. And sometimes when you have a bias for action, you take on more than you should. Because you think you're called to do everything and, you know, start a great movement, you know, then lead 50,000 people to Christ this week, you know. And that may or may not be your call. And, yeah. So, I don't know whether that answers your question or not, Frank, but that's kind of the things I think about. Well, I think it's a, I think, Bob, it's a, it's a, um, a, a, as thorough as we could manage, as you could manage. I don't think there is an answer for all the reasons that you've already said. So where would a listener or me go? Where would you think about recommending somebody reads a little further to kind of get a little bit clearer sense of these issues and maybe how these questions have been answered in the past? Where would you point them to? I don't think I would. Um, I mean, that, that may sound callous. It but, did. It did. But I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know, uh, I wrote down a verse. Uh, let's see. Corinthians, First Corinthians 10:12. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Mm. And I think the lesson of Judas is that uh, each of us needs to examine our own heart and our own walk with Christ and uh, don't think that we're above failure. Um, you know, Peter, Peter failed. It, it just wasn't quite as visible as Judas. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times. Yeah. And... You know, um, we need to understand that before God, each of us, not before our pastor, not before our favorite theologian, not before, you know, anyone of a half a dozen other things, my best buddy, but only before God do I stand. And I need to take heed of, of what I do to feed my own spiritual life. You know, because that's, that's really what it's was it's about. Are we going to resolve this thing with Judah? No. Yeah, we're not. I don't think. I, I mean, there's a lot of theologians that want to say, uh, keep your finger on the verse. There it is, right there. The devil entered into Judas. You know, that's uh, uh, 
uh, Luke 22 and John 13. Now, uh, therefore, Judas was possessed. Now, I don't know, when you really look at that, he repented. Uh, yeah, there's another whole thing about possession versus oppression by the spiritual yep. realm. Uh, you know, and, and my lesson to me is how am I walking? You know, how, how's my devotional life? Uh, and I don't mean just do I sit down for 15 minutes every day and, and, you know, whatever, but I mean, is my life reflective of what I say I believe? And there's a guy down here in Newport Richie. I think he's still alive. I think. Last I saw his kids, he was. He used to say, yeah, we should go into our church every year and sit up uh, uh, tables and everybody lay out their checkbook. That'll show who's really a believer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we want to do that publicly, but, you know, is that a measure of, hey, you say you're a Christian, are you supporting Christian causes? You know, uh, t- with your time, with your treasure, you know, with your commitments, uh, uh, what, what grieves you in your heart? Um, you know, in fact, in, it, in Ezekiel, uh, the angels are told to go into the city and mark on the forehead those who grieve over what's going on in the city. Mm. He didn't say go look for those that are making big donations. He didn't say those who aren't committing adultery. He didn't say those that are faithful to their spouse. He didn't say all these other things which we as Christians like to measure. And instead, uh, the Lord tells the angels, go look at people's heart and see if they're grieving over the sin. Their own, as well as in the city around them. Because, you know, there's things that I, I know uh, maybe we wouldn't record it. But, you know, if we were sitting now face to face, you know, we could probably tell each other the things that we're doing that we grieve over. Uh, and though, and what we grieve over is a measure of our walk with Christ. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I, that's kind of where I'm coming on this Judas thing. But the lesson is take heed. If you think you stand with Jesus, and Judas did. Uh, be careful lest you fall and you take a bad turn because you think you're helping God bring about his agenda. Hmm. I like it. I think this is a good place to stop. I think that's given anybody a reasonable amount to, to think about, to, to really think about. Um, it's, it's not just a series of facts. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's, the, the tensions of what's what's revealed in the scripture and what's not, and I think that's plenty. I think that's I think you fairly met the substance of the question, and I, I think you fairly met the spirit that was behind the question, and I think the two were were kind of different actually. I think it's interesting you wouldn't want to point somebody to a different place, but I do see why because you're not going to find a, a very balanced analysis. I would think in most cases, I think you're going to find one opinion or the other. So mm-hmm. if this is a good place to stop, I think we've summarized it pretty well. We thank everybody for listening. And if you would like to have your question considered, uh, by all means, uh, let us know. Uh, email, chat, whatever. 
signed out to a pigeon's leg, whatever method you think is best, and we'll do our best to get it answered for you. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do.